this morning's reading is Genesis 4 to 5, uh, beginning on page 3 of the Church Bibles. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mehujael, and Mehujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Adah, and the name of the other, Zillah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. 
Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam, Adam had lived for 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived for 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh for 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived for 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan for 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived for 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel for 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived for 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared for 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived for 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch for 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived for 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah for 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived for 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech for 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived for 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah for 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Thank you very much, Nathan, uh, for reading that uh, for us. Do keep that open. We're going to be looking at that together. There's also an outline of where we're going in the uh, service sheet, so do make use of that um, if that's helpful. And at the end, there will be an opportunity uh, for any um, thoughts, comments, questions. So mention that now so you can be thinking about that as we go. But before we go any further, let's pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we confess that um, since Adam, fallen humanity has sought to displace 
uh, your uh, word um, over, um, over them and have doubted your truthfulness, goodness and sovereignty. And we pray, please, as your redeemed people, that your word would be re-emplaced among us, not least this morning as we consider Genesis 4 and 5, and as we consider uh, what it means, what it tells us about you and us and redemption, that we would be those who would vindicate your character uh, in our response to your word, showing that you're truthful, good and sovereign by listening, trusting and obeying you. Amen. By the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. This is the Apostle Paul's analysis on the early chapters of Genesis and their significance. It concerns the consequences of Adam's disobedience. That what Adam did not only had consequences for himself, but all of humanity all of his descendants. And that those consequences are sin and death. Adam brings sin and death into the world of human beings. It's not that we each get our turn in the garden and we get to decide for ourselves whether we choose to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Adam ate And that has consequences for the rest of us. Humanity is now fallen as a result of Adam's sin. Now in today's modern world, this idea is objectionable. Why am I made a sinner because of that man's disobedience? It's not fair. I think that one of the assumptions that lies behind this train of thought is that we are independent, autonomous beings. It's something that our society uh, values immensely. I want to be my own person, and I want to make my own way. Yet Paul asserts, by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. We have the opportunity this morning to consider the first descendants of this one man in light of Paul's analysis. I want to show you that what Paul says is true and why we should believe it. Adam and Eve had two boys, Cain and Abel. Now, I know the question that you are all asking. We all want to know why Abel's sacrifice was accepted, but Cain's wasn't. But we're not told here. It's the wrong question to be asking. And I suspect that one of the reasons that we want to ask it is that we want to adjudicate. We want to know the reason why, so that we can decide if we think it's reasonable. But God He doesn't seek our approval for his decisions, nor is he obligated to tell us his reasons. The point here in Genesis 4 is Cain's response to God's valuation. Rather than share God's valuation 
and regard for Abel and his offering, he kills him. Cain rejects God's purpose for him and his brother. We might be tempted to see Cain's sin as a sin against Abel. But it's fundamentally a sin against God because he rejects God's valuation of himself and his brother. The terms of the punishment on Cain are telling. Have a look at uh, chapter 4, verse 10. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. God's curse on Cain is an amplification of the judgment imposed upon Cain's parents back in Eden. God's judgment on Adam in Genesis 3 was that he will now struggle to produce food. And God's curse on Cain is an amplification of this curse. Cain is further alienated from the ground. It's now even more difficult for him to cultivate food and so experience the rest that God intended. In other words, we're to understand Cain's sin and its consequences as of a peace with Adam's sin and its consequences. And as that family line continues, it's quite messy. It traces the development of technology and arts on the one hand, and the growth of violence on the other. And it ends with Lamech, who parodies the vengeance of God. Earlier in verse 14, Cain is concerned that as a restless wanderer, he will be found and killed. I suspect he only thinks that because that's what he would do. But God in his grace puts a mark on his head that if anyone kills him, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. Now here, vengeance is the Lord's and it's sevenfold. It's probably a poetic term of speech, meaning full divine retribution. But take a look at the character of the vengeance that's to be taken on behalf of Lamech. Verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Here, vengeance, it's no longer the Lord's, it's Lamech's, and far from justice, here is violent bloodthirstiness. Well, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 25, we learn that Adam has a third son, Seth. And Genesis 5 records the list of descendants of this family line of Adam. And there's one striking feature that the author of Genesis makes it hard for his readers to miss. Did you spot it? So chapter 5, verse 5, altogether Adam lived 930 years and then he died. 
Verse 8, altogether Seth lived 912 years, and he died. Verse 11, altogether Enosh lived 905 years. You got it. And then he died. What is the repeated refrain? And he died. And he died. And he died. The thing is, we're not surprised by their deaths. The thing that surprises us is how long they live. But the death of each subsequent generation of Adam is hugely significant. It's meant to remind us of what God said to Adam back in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Here we're introduced to the idea that sin has a penalty, and the penalty of sin is death. Now, in many ways, death is an integral part of the world in which we live. We've only ever known a humanity that dies. And so we're tempted to think that death is, an, is a natural part of human life. But death is not natural to humanity. Death came into the world as a consequence of sin. Death is not natural. It's to be understood as the judgment of God. And what we're seeing here is not just that sin has spread to the future generations of Adam, but also the consequences of sin, death. They all died because they all sinned. One of the uh, interesting things about the account of the early descendants of Adam is how they are presented. <clears throat> so three sons of Adam are mentioned by name, Cain, Abel, and Seth. Now, Abel is killed before he has any descendants. Cain's line is explored for a few generations, but ends with Lamech, who's a dead end, really. It's the line of Seth that's of interest in Genesis chapter 5. And this line is presented differently from Cain's. In Seth's line, we're spared the details of particular sins, although the assumption is that they all died because they all sinned. Interestingly, there is also no mention of the many sons and daughters that were had on the way. I counted 10 generations between Adam and Noah. Just supposing for a moment that each generation had only three children, although I suspect it would be a lot more, then that would be a total of 3 to the power 10, which is 59,049 offspring. That is an awful lot of, and he died. But the interest in the author of Genesis is not to map a comprehensive family tree. Rather, he's interested in a particular family line, one that goes from Adam to Seth to Enosh and takes us to Noah. Have a look at what is said about Noah 
in chapter 5, verse 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Noah's father, Lamech, discerns something special about this son. And he relates it to the curse on the ground that's come as a result of Adam's disobedience. And that this son will bring relief from that curse. The meaning of the name Noah, as a footnote in the church Bibles will tell you, sounds like the Hebrew word for rest, reminiscent of God's creation purpose in Genesis 2. The interest in this particular line, then, is an interest in hope and where, or rather who, that hope lies. The importance of genealogies in the Bible is that they help us track where God will provide access to his rest. It's about learning to read history the way that God reads it. No doubt the remaining 59,000 people did all kinds of things that we might find interesting. Yet the interest lies in this particular line, a line that will become central for God's purpose for humanity. Through the disobedience of one man, many were made sinners. Whether it's the sinful acts of Cain or Lamech, of which we're not spared, or the repeated, repeated refrain of, and they died, Genesis chapters 4 and 5 bear, bears witness to the spread of sin and death in the offspring of Adam. Declaring independence from Adam is actually a fairly inconsistent approach. For we readily accept that we inherit some things from Adam, that we're made in the image of God, for example. You know, Adam and Eve didn't simply give birth to a nondescript creature. They gave birth to one who also bears the image of God. Their offspring were in their likeness. You know, to affirm that you and I are God's image bearers comes from the fact that we bear the likeness of Adam. And if we inherit that from Adam, well, it raises the question of, well, what else do we inherit from him? And an attempt to say that God is unfair misses the point that, well, we're the ones who've changed and not God. Now that we're fallen... We want God to change the rules for us. But the fact that God does not change underlines his justice and fairness. Understanding Adam as our representative head is crucial to understanding how God will fulfill his creation purpose. For if there were cosmic consequences for one man's disobedience, might there not be cosmic consequences for one man's obedience? And if the many were made sinners by the one man's disobedience, 
Well, what then would the one man's obedience provide? At the end of the day, if we lose Adam as our representative head, we lose the pattern of the one to come. Let me pray, and then I'll open it up to any questions or comments that you might have. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to explore um, Genesis 4 and 5 together and how they show us the spread of sin and death in humanity as a consequence of Adam's disobedience. Uh, Please would you help us to understand uh, humanity as fallen humanity under your judgment. But we thank you too for the intriguing um, interest of the author in this particular line of Adam through Seth, of which we get to Noah. And we pray as we enjoy the ride, as it were, and see uh, these signs of hope in this narrative, that that would ultimately lead on to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is patterned on Adam, and that through his obedience, we can have righteousness and life. Amen. Okay, now is your opportunity to ask, why did they live so long? Why was Abel's sacrifice accepted? There we go, I got in there before you. Katie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it does. I think that's very helpful. Let me just repeat it for the recording. So this question around the fact they live so long that um, Katie was saying that when she's been asked that in the past, how do you answer that? You know, you can just affirm that you can trust the Bible. You know, that's nothing to worry about. Or there is this possibility of, of actually bringing some further insight and say, actually, the thing is not how long they lived, but the fact that they all all died. I think so. And I think it's, it's um, um, you know, when we looked at Genesis 1, we looked at some of the repeated phrases, and that was how the author helps us to see what is important. I think when you read it through, the and he died, and he died, and he died, that is, I think you can make a case that that is the thing that we're to think about. So I think you can say, actually, there's surprises, and they died. 
Um, I think the two things to, to, to go back to is the whole, how do we understand death? To go back to Genesis 2, and death is the penalty for sin. And I think you can contrast that with, and I find it quite a striking thought that, like, we don't know humanity doesn't die. So for us, death is just not a surprise anymore. I mean, it still does shock us when people die. But it's, it's um, in a world where humanity was meant to live to forever. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because if you live forever, even if you live to 930, I mean, you're still a nursery, aren't you, really? You haven't even made a 1,000. So it's that whole kind of a perspective of, um, yeah, I think so. Cool. But also, sorry, I also like that idea of, of trying to add value because you could just say nothing to worry about. And also, next week, we're going to have a look at the flood and you just think, well, what does the flood change in terms of um, how long humanity is, is then able to live for? Is the, is the, is the curse and humanity is given over to sin? You know, what, what are the consequences for that? I think what you've outlined feels like a person become away helped. Um, cool. Susie. I've given up anticipating questions because I'm so rubbish at it. Oh, yes. Oh, I have anticipated that, yeah. Yes. Mm. It's intriguing, isn't it? Yep, so just for the recording, chapter 5, verse... Um, 24, we might expect it's to say, or 23, Enoch lived 365 years and he died. But then we're told in verse 24, rather, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Um, so well, one possibility is that the author of Genesis is just uh, is a bit shy and sort of uh, it's a euphemism for you know, he, that we might say he passed away or he's with us no more, that sort of thing. But bearing in mind, he, he doesn't seem that shy, does it really? Because he's got, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. It makes you think, hang on, there's something a little bit different here. Now, I think, I don't think we can overreg it, and I think it's intriguing to read on, but I wonder if this is another sign of hope that actually death isn't the final word um, for humanity. Um, so there's a sense that he, Enoch didn't die, um, and therefore that, again, you know, we've got a number of hopes, because you've got Cain is marked um, so that um, no one can kill him. You've got Enoch been taken, and then you've also got Noah, this promise that he's going to bring relief from the curse. So you've got these signs of hope, which I think at this stage is a bit like the serpent crusher. You just have to read on and think um, what's um, what's going on. Yeah, I don't... I mean, I guess I mean, it depends on how you go, because you, from for us, we're in a privileged position that we look back and because of what, you know, 
the analysis of, of the rest of the Bible would say that through the one man's obedience, many were made sinners. So we're, we're not thinking that he's not a sinner. It's just that for one reason or another, he didn't die. But that's just not, that's not explained. So there's kind of an intrigue. And I think it goes back to what the purpose of this is about, because apart from Cain and Lamech, we are spared all the details of everyone's sin. So in that sense, it's not, it's not having to catalogue everything. It's just it decides not to tell us about all the things that Enoch, Enoch did, but the thing of note about Enoch was that he was taken by God. So I think it's one of these things where you lean in, read on. Josh. Yeah, no, I think, um, I mean, it's interesting that, and I think it's one of these things when you, you first hear it, it's worth just going away and sort of chewing over this idea that um, in terms of a timeline, uh, God, humanity is obligated to obey God um, in the garden, and then Adam is disobedient and humanity is fallen, but God man is still obligated to obey God. It's just that that man is unable to. Um, And this whole idea that we will say, well, if we're unable to, you shouldn't expect it of us. But actually the fact that um, God's um, demands on humanity hasn't changed shows that it's fair. Like he's he's treating humanity, fallen humanity, the same way the expectations are the same. We're the ones who've um, uh, moved, as it were, have changed to this state of fallenness, unable to obey God's law. I mean, interesting. You also mentioned about um, God's purpose in all this, because I think then that becomes, and we'll have a look at this on the on reflection. But I'll save I'll save it mostly for that. This whole idea of Adam then becomes a pattern of the one to come. So this whole idea that I, mean, I think it's so powerful. Like if you've never understood how the whole Bible fits together, you can you can understand the whole Bible just with two people, Adam, Jesus. You know, that's that's a big picture, and that this whole idea of what Paul explores in Romans five is that through Adam's, the pattern of Adam in terms of he what he does has consequences for others, that then became comes a parallel to Jesus, 
and that through Jesus' obedience, the many can be made uh, righteous. So it's an interesting thing that if you lose, if you lose Adam, the fact that what he does has consequences for others, then where does that leave us? If we just declare autonomy and independence, you know, there's even if a second Adam came along, they couldn't help us because we, you know, you've got to, you, you, you've got to fight for yourself. You know, it's all down to us. I mean, I do also think, I think in light of Genesis 1 and 2, and I'll stop, um, I do think declaring independence and autonomy is a peculiar thing. Because bear in mind, God is the one who breathes life into Adam. And Adam is dependent, or as are we, dependent on God for life, breath, and everything. I mean, even before you think, I'm going to declare independence and autonomy, what does that even look like? How does a creature declare independence and autonomy from God? Um, and so you've got, and I think they're the sorts of, um, I think they're the sorts of some of the assumptions that our world's very comfortable in. We're very happy with this idea of autonomy and independence, but we're just, we're just not. Is that enough? To... Yeah. Okay, I'll let you do that. Okay, let's um, uh, leave it there for uh, the moment. We're going to sing a song now that reflects um, on that act of obedience of that uh, second Adam on the cross for us. Oh, to see the dawn.